Welcome to Picks and Flicks. This is a podcast about pairings of video games and movies. Whether they're directly related to each other or not, we'll discuss how well different pairings go. My name is Stephen Pigeon, and I work in video game development, and my co-host is CJ Walsh, who is a movie producer. Good morning. Before we begin, I would like to acknowledge the traditional custodians of the land on which we occupy and pay our respects to elders past, present, and emerging. Sovereignty was never ceded. It always was and always will be Aboriginal land. Today's episode is one I've been excited to do for a while, basically ever since they announced that they were doing the show. <laughs> it's The Last of Us and The Last of Us. Woo! So we're looking at the original video game developed by Naughty Dog that released in 2013, uh, starring Troy Becker and Ashley Johnson. Um, paired with the new 2023 HBO series adaptation of that game, helmed by Craig Mazin, who made Chernobyl, along with Neil Druckmann, who was also the creative director for the video games. Yeah, and I mean, you'd probably recognise this, but starring Pedro Pascal and Bella Ramsey. Yes, and that's today's episode. So I believe it was 2013. That's actually insane now that you've said it out loud. That it, First of all, does not feel like it's that long ago, thinking about, oh yeah, I remember playing that game when it first came out. But good God, that's a long time ago. It's a decade. That's I'm so old. There's a decade between the, the video game coming out and the show coming out. I guess that's and there's, and there's, totally normal, but I suppose with video games, it's not that uncommon. And they're still doing new stuff with the game. They're, they're, they released a remaster for it a few years ago, and now they're doing like The Last of Us Part 1 like remake uh, yeah. for PS5 and, and for PC now as well. I'm actually, I'm actually guilty. I'm one of those people that's bought the game three times now. So I bought the original and I bought the remaster and I bought the remake for PS5. I have the PS4 like remaster, like uh, like The Last of Us like definitive edition or whatever it is. Yeah. Um but now and, and like and I'm playing through part 2 at the moment. I haven't finished it. We're not going to talk about part 2 because we don't want to Yeah, no spoilers for part 2. Uh, but there is going to be full spoilers. Massive spoilers for, for part 1. For part 1 both for the video game and, and the, the show. show. If you ha- <laughs> if you have not finished them this will ruin it for you. Yeah, you, if you haven't finished the show and or the game, but primarily the show because I feel like that's an easier slog, go and do it now before but, listening to this. But also either or, like if you haven't finished one of them, yeah, it'll, it will spoil both because it's the same story. It's you know? the same story, but is it? Let's get into that. Yes, let's go. Well, yeah, so like they're, re- they're remaking it. I've played, so when I originally played The Last of Us, I tried three times and couldn't finish it. Not because of lack of wanting to. The game mm. is great. But, like, I think I'd play it for a while. And then i just get, like, distracted by other things. Oh, yeah. Um, love, love a good bit of ADHD. And then I just never oh, yeah. came back to it. Uh, but when I when I found out the show was coming out. And that the... And, you know, not, not only when they were making the show. But when the show was actually airing. I was like, okay, I need to actually, like, finish this game. Yeah. And so I went back and played it from the start. And I just binged the entire thing. And it was fucking excellent. Isn't that interesting? Yeah. I remember... Playing the first one, um, and that must have been PS3, right? It was at the end of the PlayStation 3's life cycle, I think. Yeah, yeah, it was originally play- PlayStation 3, which now it's still around two generations later. Yeah, I remember playing through it, and I, I, I was the exact opposite. I, my ADHD did not distract me. I started it, and I was like, oh my God, this is what games can be. I, I remember the moments that I stopped playing each time, and the, f- the first time was when you're in the water, in the sewers, and you're, and you're trying to take <laughs> Ellie like on, a, on like a wooden pellet raft and through that area. That's so funny. The, it was the least slow. enjoyable mechanic in that entire game, and they do it like four times. Yeah, they reuse it quite a lot. Um, Shits me to tears. I'm glad they got rid of that for the sequel. Again, no spoilers for the sequel, but they figured out the mechanics that everybody hated, and they just don't do them again, yeah, which I think yeah. is great. Instead of bringing... Like they bring back all the good stuff. I'm kind of mad though that it's still in the remaster. 
and that it didn't feature in the TV show. How dare they? Well, it did a little bit. They did, it did a little bit. Did they, a little bit. They, they, they didn't like get uh, Joel to get Ellie on a raft specifically. I feel like that probably would have been weird to show it on the TV show. It would be too much fan service just to be like, hey, you remember that thing that you all hated from the game? Yeah, we're doing it in the show. But to be fair, they have a lot of like fun video game callouts and moments uh, they in, did, in yeah. the show. As, and especially like like... Uh, sound effects that are straight up just yeah. the same from the game, which which like done in a really cool way. I thought like it didn't, it wasn't like cheesy or like hemmed mm. in. Um, and the other moment when I played the second time, I think I got past that, and I got to the university uh, where I forget which one. Where, where it's the one I think it was it was before the time jump to winter, so it would have been with the monkeys. Yes, yeah, that's Colorado State University. Yep, yeah. yep. So I I had just arrived at the university, hadn't gone in yet, and then I fell off the game. Um, and didn't come back to it until oh, until damn. I played it. So like right before like the pivotal big moment that when people yeah, played if, it the first if, time. If, if I'd played it like another 15 minutes. Yeah, you would have been like, I would have oh been like, God. holy yeah. shit. Yeah. I, I remember that being such a shock when it first happened that I, I paused the game because I was like, okay, so I'll clarify for those who aren't exactly sure what I'm talking about here. The bit in the university, in the game, um, Joel is tackled off of a balcony and, and uh, pierces all the way through his abdomen with like a rusty pipe, like a like a metal rebar, like yeah, it's like a rebar goes like all a, the way through, like him. from like a bit bit of concrete, right? Like yeah. stabs him through the gut out the other side, all the way through. Uh, there's a name for that medically, and I can't remember, but it's a it's a full penetration. He is oh, not in good shape. <laughs> and um, I remember when I, I I was like, oh god, I buggered it up. I fucked up the game. I must have to yeah. start the checkpoint again because it's uh, it's like one of those cutscenes when you fail, like when yeah. a cookie gets you or some or someone kills you. Because there's usually like a, a brief like three or four second window yeah. where it shows what's happening, and so you fall off and get stabbed and think, oh, you're gonna restart from the checkpoint, but no, 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 it just keeps yeah. going. When I was young, right, uh, I say this like I, I don't still do it. I don't really. I would have been playing on a very hard difficulty because I had something to prove, I guess. And so that I, I was like, oh, you fucker. So I had to, I was like, I'll start the checkpoint again. And then it happened again. And I was like, hang on a minute. I don't think this is me. I think this is meant to happen. But I'd never seen that in a game before yeah. where the game narrative sort of takes that control away from you in a way that actually felt amazing for the story. To then the very next section you're playing as Ellie, I was like, oh my God, did not see that coming. Absolutely blew me away. Especially the time up later. Yeah. Yeah. The nowadays looking at it, I'm like, oh yeah. I mean, first of all, nowadays I play on very easy because I'm old and I don't have time. But I, I weirdly, so like I've been doing the same thing. I would play like hard or heroic or like legendary um, to put to root point. And if I'm playing something like Doom nowadays, I'll usually crank it up and like have it for the challenge because like it's it's more of like That's a mechanic meant to be yeah, mechanics yeah. game. But for The Last of Us, when I dived into it again, I was like. I'm like sure the, the challenges are fun, but I'm here to experience the game. So I just chucked them on easy, played it through, yeah, and experienced the story. And honestly, that's all you really need. It's fucking great. I, I think, yeah, I think maybe when I was younger, I probably missed out on enjoying some of gaming because I was too caught up in like I got to play it on super hard. Otherwise, what's the point? I got 100 percent on legendary, 100, and then I'd just be so <laughs> frustrated with it. And what's interesting about that is games like The Last of Us. You don't need to play it on super hard, but you can. The story works either way, but I do find for me nowadays, just not having the time or patience, playing it on easy makes it easier to immerse myself in the story. So when I when I went through to replay it for this, I was doing the the PS5 version, so part one. So that's like effectively a, a remake or it's a it's a full remaster. And 
that one I, I I must have already cleared it when it first came out. So I had a new game plus ready to go. Yep. And oh man, you just breeze through that game. It's amazing. Very light version with all your ammo, all your craftables. Oh, it's amazing. What an experience. Before I forget, just to get this, and I'll edit this at the start of the episode, but let's do a brief like summary of what The Last of Us is about. So okay, anyway, yeah, yeah. so you know, I, like if you haven't seen it, spoilers, but if you haven't seen it as well, what it is, is it's set in a world where um, it's post-apocalyptic uh, and it's zombies, but it's not the zombies that you would expect. The whole concept of The Last of Us is kind of about climate change because they talk about the, the world getting a little bit warmer and it's all about a cordyceps fungus. And this is a this is a real fungus that exists in real life, where it takes over bodies of ants, um, and like and gets into their brains and uses the ant and the animal doesn't kill them but uses it as like a host to spread, and uh, survive. And the whole idea of it in the Last of Us is the planet's getting a little warmer, and what if the cordyceps can take over humans? And that's the show. Basically, there's an outbreak where um, everyone. Uh, eat grain or bread of some sort, and that's where that's where it starts spreading. Uh, and we have all this fungus mutated like clicker zombies. They're all they're all blind. They they search around like bats. That's that's the premise of the world. And then uh, our main characters. So we start at the outbreak. We have Joel, who's uh, like mid thirties dad to daughter Sarah. Uh, spoilers during the outbreak. <laughs> Sarah's Sarah's died. Uh, Joel's lost his only like reason to live, essentially. And now we're cut twenty years later. Like everyone's surviving, do, doing what they can in this post apocalyptic world. And Joel finds Ellie, who's another like twelve year old, fourteen year old girl, so same age as his daughter, and she's immune from the from the cordyceps. Uh, and so the game takes place about Joel and Ellie trying to travel across America to get her to these people called the Fireflies to hopefully do something with this to find a cure and see if there's hope still to remain, to, to fix everything that is fucked in the world. Yeah, I mean, it's interesting. The, the, the what it's about is sort of, I mean, the name, right? The Last of Us. It's about the people who are left after that apocalypse and, and what they can do to survive. On a deeper level... I think the show is really about what happens when hope is the thing that's driving you yeah. and that I guess it's okay if that hope is a lie or if you if you find your own hope. We'll get into the massive spoilers on exactly what that means yeah. as we get further in, but I was like you want to you like you want to jump straight to the end. Or straight to the end. No, I do I we'll, we'll get to it, but I do think that there's it it plays with that concept a little bit where you go into the show and it's about one thing. And it slowly evolves itself into being like, oh, we were we were kind of fucking with you. It's it's not really about that. Well, I think that's also like part of what makes it great art as yeah. well, right? Like it 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 hooks you in with a concept, being like, it's a fun zombie game show, and you're traveling and you're trying to survive, and like it's not just zombies. Like there's raiders and people trying to kill you as well, and like that's the action, that's the hook. Um, it gets it gets into why zombie films were always good is the idea that the the people are actually the worst part of that post apocalypse. Yes. The zombies are just a thing that are happening. But what I loved about that, especially when the game first came out, it felt very new to me to see a game go in a different direction. Where like I'm sure there was a draft of this somewhere where it was a straight zombie game and you got to the end and you saved the world and that's what happened because that feels like how most games are written. You yeah. you have these really high stakes. You've got a clear path. You go follow it. 
there's twists and there's turns and whatever and it's high action but then you get to the end and the thing that you were trying to do congrats you've done it you've won at, at you know you barely made it but you did it whereas the last of us kind of goes yeah fuck that that's not how it really goes that's not how anything ever really goes it's it's one of the things of the last of us and and they did a really good job of like setting the tone and the atmosphere for this in both the game and the and the show being like the world and the characters and it like everything is so grim yeah grim and, is and, the word and, yeah. and 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 so just like like brutal like you can't you can't escape just how like bad and mm. and uh oh, i'm forgetting a word but like you know ev- everyone being pushed to the limits just to survive on a day-to-day basis mm. but on that same note it, it like it, the last of us kind of makes a point to point out like the highs that people have and the reason for people to keep surviving mm. and, and to keep living um and you know there, there's a quote um, used in the, in the show. Pretty sure it's in the game as well. But it's like save who you can save, do what you can. Yeah, just keep going. And it, it goes along the whole idea of like if there is any hope, like hold on to it for your dear life. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's the only thing that's worth having. I think we could probably get into a little bit now with like the the moral gray area that the game lives in was also pretty new to me when that first came out. Yeah, this idea that you're playing as Joel for you know eighty percent of the game or so. And he's, he's the protagonist. And so normally, you know, you've got heroes and you've got anti-heroes. And sure, I'm sure there've been some games before then that had a pretty decent anti-hero. But I'd never I'd never played as a character who like straight up admits to being a murderer and being like, no, I, I did horrible shit. I'm a bad person. Yeah. And you're like, yeah, go on then. Halfway through the game, there's like these incredible moments where you just, you're like, oh, I'm, this power fantasy that I'm living where I'm killing all these raiders and blah. You're like, no, no, that's in character for Joel. In universe, that is who this guy is. Yeah, and both in the game and and the show, they make a point too. Like some of these people that mm. you kill are are just people trying to get by. Yeah, isn't that it? There's no there's no good people or bad people. It's just it's just endless shades like, of gray. Like everyone's just out to try and like do what they can. That's all you can. At the end of the world, you know that that thin veneer of society when that's gone. It's like, dude, there's there's minimal food and there's minimal bullets. And one of those two things is going to lead to the other one. And there's another thing too. So like at the start of the game in the show, Joel um, is with another character, Tess. Um, is it Tess? Yeah. And it's Tess, yes. Yeah. Played, played by Anna Torv Anna in the Torv TV show. in real life. She's Australian. St- solid plug Classic Australian actress, Anna Torv. She's fucking amazing. She does such a good job in the show. Oh, incredible. Um, oh, what's the name of the actress who plays her in the game again? Uh, that'd be Annie Wershing. Yes. Anyway, and she, and like she does a great job in the game as well. Um, unfortunately, she just she just passed away recently. Yeah, she passed away recently. Yeah. Um, and yeah, it, it's that kind of thing too, where like both Joel and Tess have like both admitted, admittedly done awful things in their life, and one of the things that happens is they kind of both find out at the same time that Ellie is immune while they're trying to smuggle mm. her to uh, the Fireflies, and I think like Tess gets fully on board as I think immediately imme- zero imme- immediately like once she realizes that it's real and like it's actually something she's like it doesn't matter what we've done what we could do whatever like like this is our last chance mm. for any kind of redemption yeah i think that's it's such an interesting um the the difference between Joel and Tess where Joel is like yeah he's on board he'll do what he's asked to do he he's been given but a mission he, but he he wasn't on board He's not on board. He's like, whatever, this is dumb. We're, we're trying to get our battery so that we can get our car and so we can do this other thing. And so now so he's he can like, look for his brother. Yeah, he's like, I've got to go see my brother. Like, I'm just saddled with this this little mission. He's already, auto, he's, he's lost that hope that there could be a future. For him, it's just survival. It's yeah. just, I'm going to survive as long as I can. But for Tess, immediately she goes from, I'll do whatever I need to survive 
to I'll do whatever I need to protect this girl, to yeah. potentially save the world. And you're like, wow, she she never really lost hope. It was always in there. And seeing that it was possible with Ellie, oh, it lit her up. And I think that's partly why The Last of Us is so incredible, both as a game and a show, is that that, that dies. She goes away almost immediately after finding this out. And we're back to it's hopeless. And we're back to Joel doing doing what he has to do, but kind of going, he, he, he doesn't really believe... And that leads us to the biggest spoiler, which, you know, we may as well do now. When you get to the very end of both the game and the show, Joel decides not to save the world. He decides he would rather live in a world that's dying as long as he gets to stay with Ellie. Because, uh, like, his life or, like, you know, his reason for living, there is actually a reason for living now because, like, because it's, it's, it's kind of thing, like, throughout the entire game and throughout the show, like, Joel starts off yeah. very, very, like like against anything but it's progressively the more time that he spends with Ellie and the more like uh, the more they get to know each other and the more he opens up and actually like clings on to a little bit of hope he realizes he needs it and, yeah. he, and he he literally can't live without it and they they find in each other that hope and I love that it's both of them because there's that beautiful scene and they did it in the show and I'm so glad they kept it yeah where you know and we'll we'll talk a bit more about the spoilers in a second but the very very end where you know, Ellie's woken up from from all this craziness, and oh, she just says to him, "Oh, I thought you were going to talk about a different moment." Actually. No, she just says to him straight up, "Are you? Are you? Do you promise that you're telling me the truth about everything that happened?" And Joel looks her dead in the eyes, and he's like, "Yeah, of course I am." And she believes it, and you can see in her eyes that she doesn't believe it. No, but she chooses but to she believe. She chooses it. to believe it. Yeah. And I'm like, God, that was such a powerful moment. And honestly, like Bella Ramsey, say a lot of people were iffy on her getting cast and going, "Oh, she doesn't oh, she, look like her." Blah she blah blah. Fucking nailed it incredible incredible performance in that second i was like oh she's going to absolutely crush this season two that's like you know season two is going to be very difficult for a lot of them but but the performance level increases dramatically and i think looking at it now you can sort of see if you've played the second game you already know what i'm talking about but the, the performances increase and become so much more intense in the sequel and it's like they were learning how to do that in the first game and I think what they did with the show was they brought it up to the level of narrative that they had already built for the sequel. They like retroactively made that first season probably what they wanted it to be in the first place, but couldn't quite get there in the game. The show does it. And I was like, oh, I was blown away. I hope she wins a ton of awards for that. It was such a beautiful moment. Oh, I hope this I hope this show fucking like sweeps the Emmys. If you can't tell, we we loved it. So there's your there's your like what did we think of the show? Oh, I froth it. I can't wait what, to watch it. What do we think of the show and the game? Fucking telling everyone and their mum to watch and play. I told my parents to watch the show. I told yeah. I told them it's based on a video game. I told them like, you know, it's a zombie world, blah 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 blah. I'm like, just watch the first episode and see how you go. They watched the entire show. Yeah, of course. They fucking love it. It's so it. good. We can we can probably start talking about some of the changes and things that weren't quite the same and, and what that means. But I do think at its heart, and, and this leads back to our Halo episode, if well, you hang, haven't well, heard okay, that. Hang on, before before we go to that, because you did just touch on the end of the- The end, the, yeah. the very end, which we've touched on. I, th I feel like we, we, we can't go away from that just yet. All right, we, all right. we, I feel, we'll, I feel we'll like go. now that we've scratched the surface, we need to dig in a bit more. We'll dig in, we'll dig in, all right. Well, so, maybe, yeah, go on. Joel's defining moment. So everything has kind of led to this. They're-, they're you know, they've found the fireflies. They've found, like, the hospitals and the doctors and the surgeons who think they can actually do something to find a cure with Ellie's immunity. Um, but, what? Uh, like, Joel has finally found hope. Joel has finally realised, like, he needs Ellie in his life. He, he, he needs to live on. Isn't so, that it? Yeah, not just, once, not just once or in his life. It's the only thing that matters to him. Yeah. So, 
uh, they they oh, so so when they get to the fireflies, um, they get knocked out, and when he wakes up, Ellie is already being prepped for surgery, um, and Marlene, head of the fireflies, tells Joel that in order to do something, in order to help find a cure, um, they need to go into Ellie's brain, and she's not going to survive, uh, and Joel does not accept this. Joel, Joel doesn't take that news well. No, he um he breaks out and kills. Everyone, it's it is a literal massacre. Yeah, like he massacres the fireflies. Everyone's this is this is another thing too. Like you don't realize when you start playing a game, but like like it's really what you said. You are the antihero. Like you are not a good person mm. um, throughout this game. Um, you know, there's an, there's another moment in, in in the game in the show. We'll, we'll touch base on this too, where like um, Joel is looking for Ellie because she's been taken by a group of people, mm. and he's torturing people to get information. Um, mm. Oh, yeah, he's not fucking around. So, Joel's defining moment. So, against Ellie's wishes and against everyone, everyone's better judgment, he slaughters everyone in this hospital. Oh, yeah, indiscriminate slaughter. In, yeah. Uh, and he gets into the um, surgery room uh, and Ellie's unconscious on the table and there's a surgeon and, and three medical assistants. Um, and Joel's like, unhook her. And the surgeon's like, I can't let you. And, and like, picks up a scalpel. And so what do you do? Both in the show and the game. He kills the surgeon. Kills the surgeon, yeah. Yeah, like threatens the others. They unhook her, takes Ellie. Uh, but, and that, that, that's one of the, the, the bigger moments too. Like not, not just slaughtering everyone, but he killed the doctor. Yeah. Um, and then, and then Ellie, uh, driving away, Ellie wakes up in the truck and being like, what happened? Um, and Joel lies, saying there are more people like you. There's no cure. There's nothing happening. Yeah, yeah. He just tells her, "Don't you know? You're the thing that makes you special is pointless. It's not actually a thing that makes you special. Guess what? There's dozens of you. They don't need you. They did some tests, so they let us go. And we're, you know, and oh, it, that's right. He says there was an attack on the hospital. Yeah, and a bunch of them died. And she's immediately like, yeah, righto. I yeah. don't know if I believe that, but she sort of doesn't question it at that point. Yep. Uh, and and the other moment to think about too is like, um. Everyone holding on to hope. I don't think anyone actually like knows that there's a guarantee that something will be made out of this. Mm. Uh, but you know, it's it's the chance that they're willing to take. And Joel, at the same time, is like, "That's not a chance I'm willing to take." And you can hear it in the audio tapes in the game that you can collect, and they sort of give a little bit of extra backstory. Yeah, you can hear like the doctor, the surgeon guy leaves. I think at least two or three of these things in that level in the hospital. So as you're murdering all of these fireflies to get to Ellie. You're picking up these recording devices and you're hearing these stories where the guy's like, I don't want to do this. I don't want to have to kill this girl to do this, but I, I don't see what else we can do. We have to. There's yeah. no choice. We yeah. have to do it. And it's fascinating that playing as Joel, by that point, you're probably in about nine to ten hours of game time. You as the player are totally on Joel's side. There is no question that you have to save Ellie. You are so in like this might be just me talking like as a man. I related so hard to Joel in that moment where I was like, I got to save my little girl. I got to, I, I, there was nothing I would not do to save Ellie in that moment. I will kill everybody in this hospital if I have to, but you're getting this message at the same time. That's sort of designed yeah. to make you go, am I doing a bad thing right now? You're like, I am, but you know what? Fuck it. Well, I'm going to do it. When that, that uh, moment too is also interesting. So you, you just said like, you are on Joel's side. That, conversation like everyone has a different answer yeah it, like, that's and, true yeah. and it's quite i think it's quite like evenly split 50 50 where like half, half of everyone i've talked to are like no she should have she should have been like operated on and see if i can find a cure the other half are like no nah, i can definitely see why joel did that yeah 100 percent. i mean i get it i understand the idea that 
there's a greater good and we should, you know, Ellie can be sacrificed for that and blah, 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 blah. But also, dude, the world already ended. Yeah. That dream is gone. We're not bringing back capitalism. We're not bringing back society like we knew it. Fuck that. It's also like even if they even if they made a cure, like nothing's really going to go back to yeah. Like who's was, who's, right? who's going to manufacture that cure? You got Pfizer pumping out vaccines. Get out of here. <laughs> there's no lo- there's no logistics here. There's no there's no you know who, who's shipping out vials of cure? How are you going to give it to people? There's no postal service. There's no trucking. It doesn't make any sense. I, I understand that like. In the universe, they would have found a way. Like they had obviously yeah, built it and, up, and, and they, like, had, they had found ways to do a lot of this stuff. But I just think, from Joel's perspective, he's like, "Yeah, but I lose her. I don't give a fuck about everything else. Like everything else can go to fuck. It doesn't matter." Well, because no, because like nothing else matters. Yeah, yeah. Like, like Metallica said, nothing else matters. Honestly, though, yeah, I, it, it is in that moment. I sort of went, "Man, like, okay, this is this is going to sound absolutely absurd." But keeping in mind when this came out in like 2013, I was pretty young. And I played it and I was like, shit, maybe I want kids. Because I immediately was like, oh, I relate as a parent and I have no idea what that felt like until this exact moment. Oh, wow. I would kill for my children that don't exist yet. I absolutely would. And now as a 35-year-old man who's trying to have children, I'm sitting there going, yeah, 100%. If 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 we were in the post-apocalypse and somebody was fucking with my kid, I'd murder him straight up. No yep. questions. I'd do it. I can. I no hesitation. I can see where Joel is coming from. You know what that makes me think of? And I haven't seen the show, but I've seen Brian Cranston talk about it in, in interviews. Uh, the show Your Honor. Oh yeah, same vibe. And, I, I and, watched the first season. Yeah, the whole premise of that show is, what would you do in order to like protect your child or children? Like, like mm. if it like if it meant guaranteeing your child's survival and safety, like would you become a criminal? Would you kill someone else? Blah, blah, blah. I haven't seen the show, so I don't know specifically what he does. Um, but Brian Cranston was, was talking about that being like that, that premise and, and like how development was so interesting and as a parent absolutely understands it. And I was like, oh, interesting. He should play The Last of Us. <laughs> oh, definitely. I think it's that without spoiling that show because that's not what this particular episode's about, but the idea of there, like for your own children, there are no limits, no limits. So you sort of go, you know, your, your, your lover, right? The person that you love most in the world, your wife, your husband, your partner, whatever. Would you kill for them? Would you die for them? Probably, right? But there is a line somewhere. Whereas for your child, I'm like, no, I'd do anything. I'd go to prison. I'd take the fall. Like this, this podcast might come back to bite me in the ass 10, 15, 20 years from now. Maybe I'm, I'm on trial because I've committed, I've, I've ostensibly committed a crime. And what's actually happening is I'm covering it up for my child. I would, I would a hundred percent do that. Yeah. No hesitation. If, if I could give my child a better life by taking the fall for them for something stupid, I would do it. Yeah. 100%. Yeah, yeah. But anyway, I think it's, I think it's, it's fascinating that in the show, and you know, this is we we'll start talking about those differences here, and we can work our way backwards. But that final sequence in that last episode is by far the most violent we see Joel in the whole TV show. That that hospital massacre, and we and we see him like very violent. We we do, but I, what's interesting to me is we 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 we're taught or we're shown by the TV show to feel that Joel has this like dark past. He's got this like PTSD. He's having these panic attacks. He's clearly done horrible things and we hear about the horrible things and we see him torture some people and we kind of get the vibe, oh yeah, he, he's capable of some pretty heavy violence. In the game, almost immediately, you're killing people left, right and center. Like the amount of times that Joel in the game is killing raiders or Fedra officers oh, happens so much quicker in the TV show. The body count is significantly lower 
right up until that final episode where they're like, this is the Joel that you probably have seen in the video games. Yeah. This and, is they, the and they have that, like, that, they like um, really like dull the sound and have that like haunting music playing in the background. Yeah. And, yeah. And, it's and a totally different vibe to the video game where you're on like three floors of the hospital and you kill like well, 30 people. Because in the video game, right? Like you're playing the video game. It's meant to be fun. Like, we're going to give you waves of enemies. We're going to yeah. give you like an assault rifle, like go, go nuts. But in, in the show, because you're, instead of you, actively taking part in it you're passively watching it right be very difficult to watch 30 minutes of joel just shooting people with no music and but 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 like it it it, i think that's why the adaptation works so well because because it's tailored for the medium right yeah it understood what the point of that sequence was and so in that moment in the show you are kind of watching in horror in this like yeah in in this, this like watching this uh you know sequence play out and you understand why and understand what's happening, but all the focus is not on Joel. All the focus is on everyone else. Yeah. Like whether or not they want to fight or survive or whatever, like, you know, there's, there's some people that, that are just trying to like get by with, with, without, you know, confronting Joel. Yeah. But like Joel's not leaving anyone behind. No. Like he's, he's making sure he's getting everyone. Yeah. And I think that's, that's partly what I'm trying to get at with like the things that they've changed in the show were not done haphazardly. Like in our previous episode, we talked about Halo and how they didn't really understand what the game is and that's why the show suffered. This is the total opposite. Do you know- They, they fully understood what The Last of Us is and do, they were able to translate that. Yeah, do you know how the show got greenlit by HBO? No, go on. Okay, so Craig Mazin had done Chernobyl. Mm, to great, to great, I still need to watch it, but to great success, I've heard great things it's on my list to watch. And was don't, don't watch it while you're eating dinner. That's my only heads up for that uh, one. I oh I I, I watched a, a, a totally unrelated movie while eating, and it was not a good movie to watch while eating food. It's an Estonian stop motion film Ooh. <laughs> called The Old Man Movie. Oh, uh, and it's all about the milk apocalypse. Oh, yep. Okay, writing that down. Um, and it is gross and vulgar. Um, and you know the milk doesn't look like milk. Alrighty, it's very uh, uncomfortable, Ooh. but like it's, it, but like you know, check it out. Anyway, total side tangent. So the way that that the Last of Us got greenlit, it was um, HBO was meeting with Craig and basically being like, "What do you want to do next?" Right? Like you, this worked so well. Like, what are you passionate about? Whatever you want, like you know, it's the whole after idea. the success of Chernobyl. It's it's literally, idea. it's like, H- what H- would you like H- to HBO do? HBO asking you what you would like to do. Like, it's a fucking dream scenario. Yeah, and Craig is a uh, loves video games and is already a big fan of The Last of Us and is like I want to do that but I only want to do it in this way so he went he was friends with Neil Druckmann who works in the games basically had lunch of him kind of pitched him the show and uh, and asked if Neil would be interested to, to be part of it uh, and, and Neil was like yeah sure fuck yeah well like what's what's the next steps and Craig's like we go across the road right there at HBO we walk in and we talk to, we talk to the execs and they did like after lunch, God, that. it must be nice having that level of power just oh, to be like, no. they'll take my meeting because I'm Craig like, Mason. Like of what, course like they will. What the fuck? And they go in and they pitch it, and HBO's like, yeah, like we'll do this. Like let's let's set it all up, and they go through they go through the whole process. Um, and like to to your point of what you were saying, that's what is so crucial. I think mm. to having part of it, like a you have Craig who's established and knows what he's doing and loves film and is a genuine fan, mm. but b you have the creative director on the game who's bringing that perspective and, and, and bringing that, all that thought and that reasoning and all that like mm. y- years of like 
experience specifically on that to the show who can understand like okay well when when we were writing this bit this is what we did for the game why did you do that for the game oh because we need we needed to put the player in this position in order to set up the next thing okay well that doesn't make sense for the show why don't we do it this way instead and kind of like uh refigure it out but still keep it to the core identity of what it is that's it understanding that that core identity i think there's there's a few major ones and like i can rattle off a couple but Things like in the show, the the cordyceps is much more tentacle based than spore based, and I'll I'll say they haven't written out spores entirely. Um, they will likely have to bring them in at some point for the second season that, that, for reasons that will become clear. Yeah, but I think that 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 change made a lot of sense for the visual medium. As a filmmaker, I can tell you it would have been a total fucking nightmare to have to do spores as the main method, but also just from a narrative perspective giving the cordyceps a physical tentacle like thing that could be reaching and, and trying to grab things and touch things. And, and the change that they're all connected like a hive mind. Yeah. I mean, that's fascinating. I think that it made a lot of sense why you would need to do that for the show. And I, what I loved about that was it didn't feel ham fisted. They didn't sort of go spores are too hard, figure it out. It'll be tentacles. Just roll with it. They found a way to narratively make that not just make sense, but actually work and improve the story. If, if anything, I think it's actually like an improvement. Yeah, I think so. Because uh, in the game too, like you know, the 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 spores and the fungus being airborne is basically like, hey, well, okay, if it's airborne, it's twenty years later, like it'd be everywhere. everywhere. No one would be around. But B, like that decision was mainly a choice for gameplay mechanics. Yeah. Where you have to go through areas that are spores, you've got to put on your mask and kind of survive through there. Like, also, you can't have, like, your main characters in masks for 90% of the show. Oh, you could. You Although, could. And you, you know, know what? The Mandalorian. Certain shows, Halo, absolutely should have had that. Anyway, let's not get into that again. That's <laughs> well, We could do another two hours on that. I think the other major changes that uh, I think were maybe divisive for people, two of which I think were a little bit misunderstood, but... One of them is the Frank and Bill episode. Oh, one of the best episodes. Right. And a lot of people were kind of divided on this because in the game, there's you don't see any of that relationship. You hear about it. You hear it through um, Bill talking about Frank and you find notes that tell you about Frank and Bill. But in the game, you only see Bill and Bill is alive and you talk to him and he helps you through his little, and his his, little rigged he's up that, town. like classic like doomsday prepper yeah. survivalist. And I found it fascinating that in the show, they went hard the other direction and went, no, no, he's already gone. Ellie's not going to meet Bill. And I found that kind of cool because playing it again after having watched the show, you don't need Ellie and Bill to meet each other. There's no huge story moment that happens there. The most impactful part of that sequence is, well, it's twofold. One is to find out that, yeah, the people that you thought would survive the apocalypse did. And like the preppers, it worked. They they prepped. And you know what? Being prepared, it turns out, is is a good move. But you you learn through these notes and audio recordings about Frank and about how they how they loved each other and how crushed Bill is that Frank was gonna leave. It's a different story, but it has that same impact of you going, Oh my, hope is the only thing that matters at the end of the world. So when they did it in the show and they did a whole flashback, and in the end, Bill's just like, Well, I can't live without him. I'm like, I get it, dude. I fucking get it. And it, it parallels so yeah. well the whole like core identity of the show yeah. with Joel and Ellie. It's perfect. I was like, that to me was such an incredible change that I honestly wonder if that's kind of what they wanted to do in the game, but they just couldn't figure out. Because 
you sort of realize it works in the show because you can do a flashback episode. You, you can do a whole episode. You can like watch that. that show, that episode on its own without and it's any incredible. Of the yeah, and they, you don't need to have seen the rest of the show. It's, yeah, it's so well done. Yeah, both both of the uh, the performers in that were just oh, honestly incredible. I know, obviously, like Nick Offerman um, playing Bill. Um, but then I think it was Murray Bartlett who also yep. quiet plug Australian. What a fucking legend. Yeah. Um, Murray Bartlett. Oh my God. Between that and the white Lotus, that man better be oh, winning no, some I awards. I need to watch the white Lotus. I need him to be getting lead roles in things like Murray. If your agent is listening to this or if you're listening, I've got a feature film and development. I want to put you in it. Like no joke. You were incredible in that. But if, 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 you, if I mean, if you're going there, you might as well pitch it so you can hear what it is. Oh, no, I'm not going to do that. I'm not going <laughs> to pitch my film on a podcast. I'm not really worried about people taking the idea, but I don't want to. I don't want to accidentally blow my word with like a shit pitch and then have some like <laughs> Netflix executive hear this and be like, oh, "I'm definitely never taking that guy's call." No, no, no. no. I'm going to keep that in the back pocket until I'm ready. Especially if you're actually working on it, you don't want to like talk about it publicly until it's ready. Yeah, exactly. I think that's something people, you know, if you find me at the bar and I'm three beers deep, I'll probably give you a two sentence synopsis, but I'm definitely not going to do it in a public forum like this. <laughs> I was I was saying like it's it's that one the the flashback episode and the other major change that I think a lot of people found divisive was the the shift from Pittsburgh in the game that whole sequence now taking place in Kansas City and the introduction of Kathleen as this like oh, this character who doesn't yes. exist in the game yes um you know played by uh, what's her name Melanie Melanie Linsky oh incredible she, Melanie she did such a good job in that performance it. and similar too which also parallels with the um the themes in the story of the Last of Us is like she's going after um oh, Sam and uh what's what's the other character Henry name? yeah Sam and Henry who are just on the run just trying to survive but I forget what they did but like the, uh Melanie's brother died. Because of them trying to escape. Yeah, it was. Uh, I believe it was uh, Henry um, was was a collaborator for Fedra. He was he was telling Fedra where people were and he was feeding them information. Fe- Fedra, for context, being like the military police. In yeah, effectively, they've yeah. Uh, they've taken over as as the um, I guess you, yeah the last remaining instances of government, but obviously like cops. Yeah, they're basically just cops, right? But they've they've they're the they're the people with the guns and the batons who are telling everybody what to do in the apocalypse, trying to keep it ordered. But obviously in certain places and in the show, they lean much more heavily into Fedra being bad people because it's like, what happens when you give I'm gonna I'm gonna go out here on a limb and suggest that most of our listeners are probably on the same page as me with ACAB. What happens when you give, you know, the cops effectively the only weapons and there's no one above them and there's no recourse and they're now the only power. Yep. Most people who become police officers are doing it because they enjoy having a bit of power. Yep. That's not a great recipe in the apocalypse. So you end up with you know these little police quarantine zones where the Fedra people are torturing people and they're withholding food. And of course what happens is your militia types, as, as we expect they probably would, rise up, overthrow Fedra, and start killing them all. And you kind of go, yeah, I'm kind of on their side. Fuck, fuck the police. I get it. But then you go, well, actually, shit, they're not much better because now they're, you know, hanging people in the town square and setting fire to things. And you're like, and oh, also, it's, it's, it's not a total different, uh, like, trajectory to how the fireflies started up, right? Exactly. It's, 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 a, it's just another revolution movement. And they kind of get into that uh, a bit towards the end there, which I thought was cool, right? Because in the game, the sequence takes place in Pittsburgh and there is no, like, primary antagonist. There's no person who is chasing them it's just a group of raiders where they've you know tried to attack joel and ellie and it went wrong and joel and ellie have killed like six of them and suddenly it's on and they're being chased through pittsburgh they run into sam and henry almost by accident and they are also trying to escape these raiders yeah whereas in the show 
they went with Sam and Henry also did terrible things and Henry's a collaborator and that's bad. But, but in order to survive. But in order to survive. And so Joel has this great moment with Henry where they're both just like, we're pieces of shit, right? And they're both like, yep, okay, good. We both did shit things, yep. And we're not going to talk about it and we're not going to hurt one another. We're going to go our separate ways. And they both kind of look at each other and they're like, yeah, we get what's happening here. We're going to survive. We're going to take these kids and we're never going to talk to each other and that's going to be okay. I mean, and also that chapter in the game and that episode in the show The Way It oh, Ends yeah. is so heartbreaking. Like they go through everything and it's another moment of like uplifting hope because mm. um, Sam, uh, Henry's brother, who's younger, is, um, is it, what was he? He couldn't speak. He was uh, I believe he's deaf. He's he deaf. might be. He might be deaf and mute in the show. Yeah. In the game, he's neither of those things. Um, he's just a kid. Yeah. But in the TV show, they went with. I'm pretty sure he's just deaf, deaf. But I could be wrong. I'd have to look that up. But it was. It was an interesting mechanic to kind of throw in there and be like, you know, they're communicating. He's communicating by writing these notes on this little um, broken etch a sketch thing, which I thought was a really great way to do that. Yeah. You know, how do you how do you supply pen and paper in the apocalypse? You find that. And he's a, he's a few years younger than Ellie, and he and Ellie is like going out of her way to like you know play with him and get and get along with him, um, and unfortunately uh, through the outbreak and, and yeah. oh so so packed to what I was saying with uh, Melanie, the leader of the Raiders in the show, she's so focused on trying to, and she even mentioned too that his brother was like, don't like go out out against anyone, like please just get on and survive and yeah. and do what you can. And she and she's like, I understand that that's what he wants, but fuck that, I'm going after him, and yeah. and knows that there's like clickers and, and zombies coming in the tunnels, mm. uh, and they and they're gonna come soon, and she's just straight at, like straight ignoring it. Yeah, she's doesn't going matter. after this. Yeah, she's got bigger problems. And then so uh, that's happening, and the clickers come, and they're escaping, and so Henry, Sam, Joel, and Ellie escape, but Sam gets bitten. Sam gets bitten. And Ellie finds out first. Try in uh, didn't, they didn't do this in the game, but did it in the show, which I thought was really interesting. Cuts her hand um, and and shows that she's immune, and puts some of her blood on the wound to see if it, if it would do anything. It doesn't. He turns. Yeah, spoilers. It doesn't work. Yeah. Um, and then you know uh, Hen- Henry uh, or Sam, I forget which one is which now, but the the older brother like can't go on. It's so, Henry. Yeah, Henry. Henry ends up. Um in, in a really beautiful moment, he stops Joel from killing Sam, even though he's already turned. He stops him and then has to shoot him himself because... Like instinctually. He, like he, insti- shoot, yeah. he shoots him in the moment, not recognizing it that, that, that it's his brother. No, I think, I think he does. I think if you watch it, he specifically stops Joel from shooting him because he doesn't, he doesn't want him to shoot his brother. But he knows in that second, he knows he's going to have to shoot him. And as it soon just as can't he does, be anyone else. he has that moment like that, like that, that, that horrible, second delay, yeah. realizing what is done and what's happened. Oh, it's savage. Yeah. Um, and yeah, like ends up turning the gun on himself because because without his little brother, what's it all for? And it's that in his eyes. God, he was so good. I got I got to double check. I'm pretty sure that was Lamar Johnson. It was. Yeah. He he had this incredible look on his face where he was processing all of those thoughts and emotions at the same time. Oh my and god. And kind of going everything that I did to get here. People died because of the decisions that I made to survive and to keep Sam alive. And all of that was for nothing because he got bitten and I just fucking killed him. And he's like, well, then I guess there's no point. What do you do? He can't live with himself. He has to go. And you sort of realize that's exactly the same thought process that Joel is going through at the end of that and going, I'm going to do something here that means either everything I've just done is for nothing or 
It all matters because it's worth it for her. This entire like world and, sh- and and like game and show does such a good job of like you know taking you through these main characters of Joel mm. and Ellie, but really giving you snippets to everyone else, just like like going through the same shit. Yeah, just trying to do the same thing, regardless of like Ellie being special because she's immune. People are just trying to survive and get on, right? Yeah, and just giving you a window into all of these different characters' lives and how and how it's all related with what everyone's doing, including Joel and Ellie. Yeah. And it's just like it feels like just such a masterclass in that world yeah. building. That storytelling and that's that i think that's why the tv show works so well is that it understood everything that made the game what it is but it was able to elevate that using the medium of tv in the game you don't get to see other characters perspectives or what they're going through you sometimes hear about it like i said through the little audio recordings or the notes that are left around you get this image of what the rest of the world is doing what these other characters are going through but you never see it with tv you can do that and it doesn't freak the audience out. It doesn't take them out of the gameplay because they're not they're not playing it. You can have a whole episode about another character. You can have, you know, this Kathleen character who, again, totally invented, does not exist in the game at all, um, but it works because you, they've understood what that sequence in Pittsburgh was for and went, okay, narratively, we can hold that same core, but we can give it infinitely more depth because now we can give you the backstory. Yep. We can give you you know, Kathleen is this person and why is she doing these things? And that's a mirror for Joel and the audience can delve into that. So unlike an adaptation, you know, again, I'm throwing Halo way under the bus here, but like unlike these adaptations where they haven't really understood I th- I think Halo, what they're doing. I think Halo can rightfully be thrown under the bus. I think it can, I think it can. There's, it's so easy to take a core concept of a game and go, it's about surviving at the end of the world and we'll do 10 episodes about that. But that's not what it is. They've understood that there's a lot of things in play here. There's vengeance. There's hope. There's what happens when you lose hope. Yeah. All of that stuff is is in the show in multiple layers, in multiple characters, in multiple episodes. They just doubled down. And I think it's incredible that they managed to do that in such a way that wasn't just like, fuck, that's a great TV show. It is a masterclass in adapting medium because they took the video game and instead of just slapping it in a TV show, they made a whole new thing out of the core components that I don't just recognize, I love. And it made the game better. Then that was kind of the thing. Like, like it, it's clear that they looked at the game, looked at the show, and like reworked and, and, and like reassessed the game from the ground up. Like yeah. every decision, every moment, like, like, like putting a magnifying glass on it in a game and be like, okay, well, why was this done in this very particular way? Okay, you want to set this up for the story later. You want to set this up for a specific game mechanic. You need to have this now because it, it's important to do for like the next bit later and so the player can have something to mm. do in that moment. Whether like the specific moments work in the show or if they don't or if they need to be adjusted, like they did that with every little bit, yeah. every little thing and like the attention to detail and, and like the, and the passion, the care, mm. like it, it, it shows through so much. That's it. You can tell how much they loved making this and how much they loved the source material because it shows on screen. Yeah. And that's a, that's a big difference when you, when you hear about adaptations or even just spiritual adaptations and, and the people kind of like talking about it in interviews and going, well, I never bothered to read the comic or I never bothered to play the video game because it didn't really uh, matter. And you're just like immediately you go, you didn't get it. And because you didn't get it, it's going to suffer. The product is going to suffer. I mean, I mean, that's a whole other, uh, now I'm just thinking about Halo again, but like, We're if, doing if, it again. If, if you're not going to, like, if you're not going to give the source material the attention it needs and if you're not going to come into that level of like passion and care about the project, then like, you know, you, you're so far removed already from like having having the show or, or the new thing that you're you're working on to be on on a similar level. Oh, absolutely. 
I will say um, I want to I want to do a quick plug on a lot of the cameos and and why that was important. A lot of people online. Oh, were, like Troy Baker. Yeah, like Troy Baker showing up. People were a little bit mad. I noticed this. I'm on the I'm on the Reddit. A lot of people were kind of mad about some of the cameos, calling them like fan servicey and like. No. Oh, they've they've just thrown that in there to appease the no, game fans. That. Honestly, I think that's bullshit because every cameo was fucking amazing. So like Troy Baker shows up um, in at least two episodes during I mean, the Kansas City uh, uh, sequence. You've got Ashley Johnson, so she voices Ellie in the game. Well, she not, played, not just voices, like full motion. She capture. did the full motion capture, like yeah. Tr- Troy Baker doing full motion capture for Joel in the game as well. Yeah, it's yeah. worth pointing out. It's it's not facial capture; it's performance capture. So they're yeah. capturing. Uh, facial movements and they're capturing the way their bodies move. So it's important to note that Ashley Johnson does not look like Ellie and that Troy Baker does not look like Joel. Oh, well, okay. Do you want to know uh, why they made Ellie look more like Ashley Johnson in the games? This, yeah, go this, on. this is the whole thing. Uh, Elliot Page, or at the time. Ooh, are we going to get into that? Ooh. I mean, I mean, I, I, I know like surface level details. We can talk about it because like game came out and Ellie looks pretty much like how Elliot Page did at the time it came out. Uh, he was never involved uh, in the development or production of the show to the point where he sued Naughty Dog over using his, like, like his likeness as Ellie. Um, and there's, there's, an important, there's an important thing to remember here. Hang on, I'll bring it up. Okay, the reason that this was such a shit show when it happened, which our audience may not remember, they might literally be uh, too young... There was another video game that was released at almost the exact same time as The Last of Us, which Elliot Page does, in fact, star in. Oh, what was that one? It was called Beyond Two Souls. Oh, Yeah, and Elliot Page provides both the voice performance and, again, incredible likeness. And there was a huge issue because they were both announced at the same time. They were both PlayStation exclusives, and it looked... Very much like Elliot Page like was un, playing like Elliot. Uncannily. Uncannily. So it wasn't just it was I want to clarify, it wasn't just Elliot Page being a bit of a douche and going, Oh, you're you're you've made a character look a bit like me. It was really easy but to it, confuse the two but things. It, it was like voice and mannerisms of behavior. Like like yeah. I, I thought it was Elliot Page, like until I realized it was Ashley Johnson. It was and a lot of people actress. did, and that's why there was a lawsuit about it. So I just want to clarify, like this is not us being like Elliot Page did a dumb thing. No, I think Elliot Page was well within I, his rights. Oh, hundred yeah. percent within his rights. Um, but that's also why, like, uh, in for the first game, and then and then much more for the second game as well, they made Ellie look a, lo- a lot more uh, similar to Ashley Johnson. Yeah. The thing is interesting. So, so Ashley Johnson has a cameo as uh, Ellie's mum, which yep. is not something that happens in the game. There is no flashback sequence to the birth of Ellie. There is no, and you find out potentially why that she is immune. Exactly. Yeah, and 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 that's something where in the game there is there is no real explanation as to why she's immune. But also, you don't really need one. You don't need one. No. Like like they 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 point it out in the show and like it it works, but it's also not necessary for the plot. I have a feeling, and again, I don't want to spoil season two or the second game, but it does come into play a little bit in the sequel. Well, yeah, so I, so I mean, even if you're playing stuff for me, because I'm playing through the second game at the moment, I haven't finished it. Yeah, um, they don't. They're yeah. not going to go into huge amounts of detail, um, but you do learn more about Ellie's mum in the sequel. Not to the point of what they've shown in the in the TV show. Like, there's no flashback sequence. You don't find out exactly why she's immune, but it becomes a little bit clearer why there's a connection between Marlene and the Fireflies and Ellie. 
and it oh, all sort of you okay. you they've sort of painted that picture a bit clearer in the sequel. So I think what they did with the TV show was bring that forward a bit so that it, it made more sense to the audience. That makes sense because there was also like a moment in the show where they're at um the ranch where Tommy is Joel's brother. Yeah. Um and there's a character that comes in and like uh is trying to watch them and Ellie looks at him and he's like, The fuck do you want? What are you looking at? Mm. Um and it's a character that's in season two. Yeah. Uh yeah, like I'm not, I'm not going to spoil anything for what happens in season nah, two. But they're, but they're like, clearly they're, planting they're, those seeds. They're of, planting yeah. seeds, setting things up that I think are going to pay off really well for, for the next season. It makes me wonder, right? And this is talking about like things that are similar and different. And what I was talking about before with they, they've been given an opportunity, and this is really like Neil Druckmann here, being the creative director on that first game, he's been given the ability to make changes to the story of the first game in a way that most creators never get. And so I feel like some of what they changed in, in in the TV show were things that he probably wanted to do in the game in the first place, but was never able to for either technical or financial or whatever reasons. Things like um, in the TV show, right, you get the full episode Left Behind, which is essentially yes, the- playing out the, the DLC that was uh, added to the first game. Yep. And in subsequent releases in the remaster and the, and the um, PS5 version, it's it is included in the game as part of it. Oh, so you play it linearly. You don't play it linearly. You 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 still have to choose it from the front menu. Oh, okay. But when the game originally came out, it wasn't in it at all. It was released as DLC months and months and months after the game came out. So there's it's a whole a really good DLC. It's, a, it's amazing, and there's a whole chunk of it that I you know if I remember correctly, it was actually meant to be in the first game, and it was cut for time. They they couldn't finish it before the sense. game was coming out. Yeah. So they put it out as DLC. The TV show and the way that it plays out, where it happens is exactly where that section of the game was meant to be if you played it linearly. So they, they added it into the show exactly where it would have been if it had been included oh, in the original so game. so it wasn't meant to be in the mall. In, yeah. Because like, I thought that parallel no, because if, in yeah, the game was done so well. Because yeah. like, you know you have the flashback of Ellie and Riley in the mall. Yeah. And then you flash forward to Ellie like in winter in the mall looking for supplies for yeah. Joel. To, to it makes sense, save him. but in the TV show, they didn't need to do the mall parallel. No, they, they could just go. Like, like it would have been, a, it would have been like a cool, cool back to exactly, the game. Yeah, but, but again, like I mean, you know, ha- having having it the way that it did because, like, for the show, they they condensed a lot of like in between moments. Yeah, I think for the sake of pacing, which makes sense. But having that moment right where leading into Ellie, <laughs> big moment here, um, being abducted by the cannibals. Yeah, uh, like made a lot of sense, right? Also, talking about that, the happening in the in the game and the show, one of the best things I loved, you know, like like Joel is finally coming back and, and trying to find mm. um, Ellie to save her and make, and make sure she's okay. Ellie saves herself. Yeah, it, and and like that's one of the one of the best moments is that like through all of it, mm. Ellie, Ellie is one that got herself out of that situation, saved herself, did, did what she needed to, and Joel found her like right after, and like you know they mm. they reconnected, but like. Because like it was a dire, like hopeless oh, yeah. situation. Holy shit! Incredibly. Um, but she fucking she survived. She survived. She did. She did what she had to. I think um, you 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 learn in that moment. You're along along the way, especially in the TV show. You're like Ellie's very capable. I believe in her, but good, God, it's a good thing she's got Joel with her. In the game, there's a whole sequence leading up to that where you play as Ellie and have to kill like thirty to forty people to get to that part. Yeah. And so you're already fully on board with Ellie as a as a murder machine who has been trained by Joel to shoot people with a bow and arrow from, you know, 30 meters. You fully believe it. In the show, they didn't get that build up. 
So it's in that moment where she's she's fighting old mate, um, what's his name, Robert, in the diner. And in the TV show, her winning is the first moment you get where you're like, oh, she's going to live. Yeah. She's she's prepared to do whatever but it also takes that, to live. That, that moment, like towards the end when she has like, yeah. um, like in the show, it's a, it's a butcher's knife. Um because uh, for context, like there's one specific character, like probably like one of the, one of the worst antagonists in the show, who's a cannibal and is and is not afraid to like show his violent side and like leans into it, um, and is very specifically like targeting Ellie, uh, and and, want, and wants to ruin everything, um, and Ellie like this pure like f- force of will and and f- and fierce of her own like fucking annihilates him and yeah. murders him and and like she's going through that through through oh, like it's David that's right his name is David yes very, very Christian name considering mm-hmm. his his doing like the holy bible thing of everyone but then like feeding people the people yeah and um, they they leaned into that culty religious aspect and i did notice online this is for you fucking reddit nerds out there a lot of people on the Reddit were like, oh, it didn't have to be culty. Why'd they do that? If you paid attention in the game, it was already in it there. It was already there. He, he was always like that. They just didn't give you a sequence of him giving a sermon because we didn't need that in the game. But very much, I he was a culty dude. There was one moment that they that they didn't do in the show here that was in the game. So I reckon I would have liked to see them do in the show if they, if they had like time to fit it in with pacing. But when... Uh, uh, so David and James, and James is played by Troy Baker in the, in the show for this. Amazing, yeah. Um, when they come across each other for the first time, and James goes back to get medicine, and it's just David and Ellie of the DL, like sitting in that um, like shack in, mm. uh, in the snow in the woods. In the game, they get attacked by clickers. Yeah. And they get attacked by quite a lot, of, a lot, lot of clickers, and they have no choice but to work together to defend themselves until James comes back and they continue. Mm. They didn't have that in the show, but I think that would have been a really good moment to kind of like you know, ha- like have have you know a moment of clickers in winter that would have been cool. But show these two characters like forced to work together and, st- mm. and stand side by side right before they become completely out of with each other again. Yeah, I will say that's like if we can if we can, you know, we've already gushed about how much we love it. But yes, I I wanted more of that, and the fact that there wasn't any, I was like, yeah, that's disappointing. That and I think the. The only other bit that I, I legitimately did not like about the show was the kiss, uh, yeah. which you may recall was I think episode two, and I, um, and I think a lot of people that, that kind of turned people off. Yeah, I, I I vaguely understand why it's in the show. I but I I, I, I get the intention behind it. Yeah, and, I hate it. And, and and the way that um the reasoning behind it was like, uh, the cordyceps and the clickers are just surviving and spreading. Um, and they're aggressive and violent uh, against anything that is aggressive and violent back, like like fighting back. Like that's what nature is. Like if you're going to fight back, it's it's going to retaliate. And the whole idea was like, what if you don't uh, mm. like fight? When what what if you give in? What does that look like? And that's where like you know the clicker zombie just kind of like lent in and. It had that weird kiss moment. I don't think it needed to be a kiss. It didn't. It absolutely did not. Because it was really just like kind of weird and off putting. Um, but I understand why they did it and what they were going for. Uh, but I just don't think it necessarily hit the way that they intended. Yeah, swing and a miss for sure. I I, I know that obviously the tentacles were almost certainly added in post in VFX. All I could think about looking at it was, oh, poor Anatov who has to yeah. make out with a fungal thing. Yeah, like obviously, it, you know, she wouldn't have actually felt it. They weren't really there in the room. Still gross. Still can't imagine having to do that. It's so disgusting. And not in a way that made me go, 
oh, the, the, the cordyceps is like somehow even more scary now. It was like, oh, that's actually foul. I, I mean, if we, if we want to talk more about like the whole design of the cordyceps and stuff, I, bring us right back to the very start of the show, that like opening half an hour during the outbreak and, oh, and, and incredible. That, that entire sequence and just seeing people like get turned for the first time. Mm. It, and, and like it's straight up like a horror film. It's so well done. It's so, it's so much longer than the game. But it works so well. Yeah. And like those moments of like uh, when you're following Sarah in the house during the day, which is on a sequence that's done in the game, and you see um, the old uh, like grandmother figure like yeah. in the chair and, you see, and and like as Sarah just has her back turned to her, you see her like mouth open and like shake. Yeah. And you know what's coming um, if you play the game anyway. Uh, I think I think honestly, even if you hadn't played the game, those those beats being such classic horror film beats – even if you didn't know exactly what was coming, that was enough was to be happening. like, oh, there's something happening. And you were like, oh no. And and, and classic, like the dog knows what's up. Yeah. The, the yeah. dog's getting the fuck out of there. Yeah. Um, and like when uh, the outbreak is happening and Joel, uh, Joel and Sarah are going through the shops and come out towards the back and you see some, some uh, of like the... Uh, infected people feeding on other people mm. and there's, there's one that just silently like sits up and it's backlit and has a silhouette and just like staring at them yeah. and starts chasing them that moment's fucking amazing it's so intense and then an- another like moment that's specifically called back to the end of this chapter where um, Joel and Sarah are up against like the military figure he shoots at them and that's where Sarah dies yeah later in the show when they're trying to escape uh, Fedra and they're taking Ellie out from Boston to try and, and get her to the Fireflies and there's the Fedra military person yeah. stopping them it has that silent flashback of seeing this, like a very similar military figure with with Sarah and that's what, what snaps in Joel and he loses it and he beats the shit out of this guy and kills him yeah which um, again I thought which, was, which Ellie watches yeah. and is fascinated by she, it, I think it's if I'm remembering right that is the first time Ellie sees Joel exhibit such violence yes it is and instead of being i mean i guess she's a little bit mortified like oh my god who is this guy at the same time she recognizes that that was done in service of protecting her and so even though they sort of don't really get along at the start and she's given him like massive sass there's an element in it where she respects that and she's like oh this dude is serious business okay like he's he's on my side and that's probably a good thing yeah yeah, and I think she realizes like, oh, okay, like I don't want to, I don't want to, yeah, fuck things up with this guy, because <laughs> because oh. who knows what else he does if he has a bad day, right? Yeah, I do want I do want to say like, as much as I hated that kiss, it is interesting because it does lead, a, or it leans a bit more into how cordyceps actually functions, and I found that interesting that the the real world cordyceps behaves a lot more like a hive mind and a, and a, and a tentacly type thing. Yeah. It does have spores. This is a, this is a soft plug for a book and a movie that we probably won't cover. Um, but you should all go check out. It's called the girl with all the gifts. The book is amazing. And the, the movie is pretty bloody good, but it, it never really got much success. If the sound of my typing is coming through, it's cause I'm looking it up for myself right now. Clickety, clickety, clickety. So the girl with all the gifts and uh, in it, it has a similar uh, thematic link in which there's been a cordyceps outbreak that has effectively ended the world. Is it specifically cordyceps? It is literally this? cordyceps. Ah. It's actually Ophidio cordyceps, which I think is a different version of cordyceps than what we have in The Last of Us, but same, same, same type of fungus. And in the real cordyceps, what it does is it'll infect the ant 
and it effectively destroys the brain and replaces the brain with the fungus and it forces the ant to climb to the highest point that it can reach before what they call fruiting it like explodes yeah and the spores spores are then spread as far as possible so in this book and in the movie the the people infected they're called hungries because of course zombie is like a protected term and blah 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 blah. so they call zombie actually like a protected i'm pretty sure it's trademarked yeah oh my god that's why it's never that's why it's never said that's why there's walkers and there's clickers clickers it's exactly right nobody's allowed to say zombie unless it's a unless it's in that unless it's like a georgia mirror exactly yeah okay so in this i i I, I didn't know that now 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 i hate it oh my god exactly So now the hungries um, have this thing where, yeah, they're hunting people and blah, blah, blah. But when they're observed in their, I'm doing air quotes here, natural habitat, they, they, when they're old enough and there's a critical mass of fungal infection, they collapse or they try to find really high points. They go into hills and buildings and whatever they can reach that's high up and they start fruiting. They create these disgusting like pillars of fungal mass. And when that reaches critical mass, and it's interesting in the book, it requires fire, which is not a thing that the real cordyceps requires, but there are trees and, and plants and things that only fruit after they've had a burn off. And that's a natural evolutionary thing. And so in the movie, there's this great sequence where they think they're burning away all this fungal mass to like save people. <laughs> and what they're actually doing is setting off the spores to basically end what is left of the world. Yeah. And it's a great moment where they realize what they've done and kind of go, oh, we just fucked up so badly that there might actually be no recovery. And I think it's beautiful because it's something to do with cordyceps and the nature of that particular fear of it's not just a virus. It totally takes over your body and it turns you into something that you can't control and that then attacks other people. Yeah, That's such a great element for horror. And I love that it's, it's come such, up more than once. It's such a cool concept. I think yeah. too, like uh, the show um, for The Last of Us, the, uh, the first two episodes or like episode two and three have um, flashbacks to some, a couple of moments pre-outbreak that isn't shown in the game. Yeah, the, the very first episode, you have like a talk show in, in the 1960s where you have a fungus expert and another character, mm. I forget what he is, um, who I think was in Chernobyl and that's how like they yes, have a cameo. Yeah. Uh, and they're, they're talking about cordyceps and what would happen and explaining the concept. And they're doing this to, to you know, show the audience, like, what the cordyceps is and why. Yeah, why you should be afraid of it. It's yeah. happening. And and basically, the key, the key takeaway is, is it takes over your brain, floods you with um, psychedelics and hallucina- hallucina- hallucinations, um, and then you're, you're just a, a host for this fungus. You're not dead. You're still in there. Like that was a key takeaway mm. too. You're still technically alive, um, and that there's no cure. There's nothing that can't can be, be done. Can't be fixed. And then yeah. in the in the next episode, you have an, a, a flashback in in Indonesia. Yeah, I'm pretty sure where they bring in a cordyceps like expert professor because they found like patient like one or two or three who was. Who well, this is the problem. They think they found patient maybe number one. And it becomes super clear in about 30 seconds. Oh, that's patient number six. Yeah. This is because somebody had to bite that person. Yeah. Oh, no. Yeah. So she so she works out what's happening. There's this little like moment where she's uh, like di- dissecting the body and seeing it and like sees the live fungus in mm. there. And like the bite's in the leg and she opens up the mouth and it's coming up. Like it's all the way through the, br- through the body. Um, 
And she's an expert on, on the cordyceps fungus and it's never seen it in humans. And she sees this and she realizes what's happening and she's like, oh no. Like it's too late now. I, I remember that moment. I think there was, I think the dude is like interviewing her maybe. And he's like, Ask, what, asking what, do what we do? should we do? And she's like, it's too late. There's nothing we can do. Bomb, and, and like yeah, she goes, bomb everything. Bomb the city. Like what? Like they, they worked out it, from, it came from the grain factory. Yeah, and that's were, right. And, and there were three or four other workers missing. Yeah. And she's like, bomb the city. You got to destroy the city. And they're like, and well, uh, we don't have time to evacuate. And she's like, you can't evacuate. I want to go home to my family and see them before I die. Yeah, yeah. It's this. It's it's so profound. And I think maybe this is why Craig Mazin was such a great choice for this. Mm. Because... I don't know how far into Chernobyl you are. I haven't watched any of it. Okay. Well, you know what happens. Spoilers. It's, oh, yeah. it's a real historical <laughs> yeah. event. Um, but they do things like that really well. There's this really incredible moment where there's it's a similar thing happening. And a guy kind of goes like, he realizes that one of the instruments is reading the radiation wrong. And he immediately knows that he's fucked. And he sees it. You see it on his face. And he's just like, oh, shit. Because... There, he's such an expert. He knows the answer. He already knows what happens next. He knows there's nothing he can do about it. What do you do? Having that moment, like that, like portraying that tone in the atmosphere and that realization and the dread that comes with it. Even like you don't need to have the character have any words because they yeah. w- they wouldn't actually say stuff in that moment. But it's conveyed mm. and like it's that heavy performance. It's so oh. hard to to do that. And like again, this is like as a filmmaker, blah blah blah. But you kind of get what I'm suggesting here, where when you are writing a scene like that is one thing because you can really easily convey what people are thinking in writing. When you have to see it on screen or you need an actor to put portray it on screen and capture it. And, and like, it's it's very specifically like the actor-director relationship. Yeah. There, right? Like really understanding the intention and the purpose behind it, both from the director, like knowing that and understanding that. And then the actor, actress also understanding and knowing how to perform and deliver that. Yeah, it's so hard. And I think that's partly why... I was so impressed by Bella Ramsey, especially in that that final episode. There is so much that she does with just her eyes, and you're like, I get it. I know also, exactly what was going through. Bella her head. Ramsey and Pedro Pascal, uh, like, didn't know the game. Yeah, um, I, know, I, yeah. I, I don't know if they've since played it. Pedro Pascal had to be told what the game was. Yeah, um, Bella Ramsey hadn't played it and was also recommended to not play the game. So yeah, that, so that she could, you know. So it wouldn't like impede on like her working out like the development for her performance and stuff, right? But yeah. like both of them fucking nailed. I think the that's actually characters. such a good point that the because like this, you know, not to confuse our listeners here. I think when you're doing something like this and you're adapting such a popular game or something that is held so dearly by so many fans, it's really imperative that the creative team, the key creatives not only understood what they're adapting, but why they're yeah. adapting it. Why is it a TV show now? But you also want, like you, you don't necessarily want the performers to have that already existing material. Exactly. You like, kind of need the actors to not have that level of intention. They, they need a level of removal so that they have that room to actually like explore and develop yeah. it rather than like having the game in like kind of affect what that performance looks like. You, you, you don't want a straight adaptation that is page for page, scene for scene, because it isn't the same thing. No. What they're doing in the TV show is driving at the same themes and at the same core and the same premise, but they're, they're doing it in a way that works better for TV. And what they did in the game works better for the game. And if you flip them around, they would both be garbage. It only works the way that it works and it only works so well because they understood that. Yep. I think part of that is, as a director, you, you're looking at this thing going, I know what needs to happen in this scene. I know the intention. I understand why we're doing this. 
and so you you it's almost like when you write your own you know thesis and you need somebody else to read it to look for the mistakes because when you read it you're not actually reading the page you're reading what's in your head oh it's the same thing as when you work on any kind of creative project yeah. and you, you've been like tunnel visioned on it for, for so long you need someone else who isn't like as closely tied to it to kind of look at it from an outside perspective and be like okay well this doesn't make sense that uh, doesn't read right that's wrong and you and and when you get that feedback and you look at it from that perspective it's like oh of course yeah because it'd be so easy to be like let's say you know pedro's pretty incredible in everything he does so far imagine you know if if you're working with pedro in this and you've given him such clear direction and you're like right the scene is about this and pedro's played the game at this point he already knows the scene there's there's a fear that he's just going to emulate what he saw in the game because he's like well that's what we're doing we're adapting the game but that's not actually what the TV show needs. I think what they had, well, I, I don't know specifics on this, but I'm pretty sure Pedro Pascal didn't meet and talk with Troy Baker before yeah. lot, like actually doing the performance and kind of like talked about the process, talked about like what, what, Joel, what, what Troy was try, trying to do with the character. Um, I think that's more important is to understand what the point of the character is, understand those motivations, but you want the performance itself to be unique to that, that medium. Yeah. We don't want it to be exactly the same because it's not going to be exactly the same for the audience either. Yep. So you, you, you want it to convey the same moments and the same emotions and tensions, but you kind of want it, and especially with like, Pedro where it's like, you know, he's going to fucking crush it. You want to be like, I want to see what Pedro can do if we gave him free reign, but we told him what we're aiming for. Yeah. Where would he take that? How would he approach that? Because you don't want that exact like beat by beat, just like one for one transcribed adaptation, right? Because like that's not interesting to be honest. But Pedro Pascal like understanding and having all of like the ingredients and the elements mm. presented to him, and and all the understanding and be like, okay, this is what we're setting up. Where do you see things? How do, how do you view it? Mm. Like like give us your interpretation, and then we can kind of like curate and guide that along the right path with the writing and the direction. Exactly, exactly. And that's I think he actually did a really funny interview. I'm going to paraphrase this because I'm not going to bother trying to bring it up, but. So Pedro, Pedro tells this really funny story, um, and I, I'll, I'll paraphrase it a bit here, but when he was first getting the gig as Joel, uh, he was taking Ambien because he was on set for The Mandalorian and he was having trouble sleeping and they've got really early call times. So like, yeah, he was shooting in, in the UK. He's time. shooting in the UK. So he does this this couple of phone calls and they're talking about the role and, and you know, he's sort of like, yeah, great. Um, you know, uh, here's what I want to do with it. They had their, they had, essentially it's an interview and they've told him, okay, we're going to hang up now, you know, get some rest. Um, we'll be in touch shortly and we'll let you know what happens. It wasn't also that because like they had that interview, but then they also wanted him to stay up. To, yeah, that's so, right. So that they could have another phone call with Neil uh, from the game. But because they're in LA, he's in London. It was like a late call. Yeah, yeah. So he stays up, has that chat um, and then ends it. And then as he's going to bed, he takes an Ambien because he yeah. needs to sleep. Uh, and he's all like hyped up with the excitement of it. And after he takes the Ambien, he gets the call telling him that he got the job. And in the way he talks about it too, he's like, oh, he has a call. And then like after like five or 10 minutes talking on the phone, he's like, so how did I do? What do you think? Did I get the role? And like, yeah, yeah, man. Like, yeah, that's th why we're, that's yep. why we're calling you. You got the job. And then he wakes up the next day, totally blanked on this because, yeah. because of being, being on um, the Ambien. He's like, oh man, I, I really hope I get the job. I don't want to have to like, Wait around the phone all day, blah, blah, blah. I was really hopeful. And then it's like, oh, I got the job. Hang on a minute. I already got the job. It's so funny. I, I think it's fascinating that the way they built the thing, and I think you, you touched on this before, having Neil Druckmann attached as as the person who's going to drive that creative vision with Craig Mazin is 
I think so the recipe crucial. for success, right? Yeah. It, it wouldn't have worked if it had gone the other way around. If somebody had been like, I've created a script for a show for The Last of Us, we're going to need to get Neil Druckmann's approval. We're going to send it to him and say, what do you think? Is this any good? And, and the show's already greenlit. We're really just asking permission at this point out of politeness. That would not have worked because whatever they were trying to do would have been missing those those key deeper level intentions behind what the game is really for, what it's about, what it's yeah. trying to say. Having him on board so early, you know, I'm not suggesting that every adaptation ever should have the original creator on board from the get-go, but, oh, it helps. It helps a lot it to have somebody who understands what they're doing. Oh, well, yeah. <laughs> this has made me think of The Witcher and Henry Cavill leaving that yeah. show and, he, and him being like that core person who, does, who doesn't understand. I'm not going to get into that. No, we'll, we might because, do an episode on that one later. Because yeah. I, I also don't know all the behind-the-scenes stuff. So, like, I don't... I, I know a lot of it. Well, we can get into that when uh, the final, what I assume is going to be the final season airs later this year. With Henry Cavill and then... Um, uh, Luke Hemsworth. Oh, mate, I I will eat my fucking shoe if they end up actually shooting another season with him. Oh my God. Because I have a sneaking suspicion that show is well and truly cancelled now that Cavill's not involved. Oh, I wouldn't be surprised. Uh, but and so another thing that this made me think of: I haven't played the games and I haven't seen the movie. Coincidentally, it is also an IP from Naughty Dog, Uncharted. Yeah. Do you want to know why Mark Wahlberg is in the movie? Yeah, go on. It's because years ago. He uh, acquired the movie rights to the IP with the intention of making a movie and him playing Drake. Oh, of course, that actually makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Um, and then it didn't. And then it didn't get greenlit for ages. And then you know it got to, it got to the point where like I forget which um, uh, place is doing it. If it's Warner Brothers or or, or Universal, in, Universal, yeah. So they greenlit it. He's too old to play Drake, so they brought in Tom Holland. But you know he has the rights. He has the state ownership. He's going to be involved one way or the other, both as an actor and like an exec producer. So that's yeah. why he's in it. That's why he plays Sully. Um, and knowing that, and knowing what I know about Mark Wahlberg, I'm like, fuck that movie. I'm not. <laughs> I don't want to watch it. <laughs> but I am going to watch it because like you should. You, know, you should look. It's not incredible. Uh, it didn't change my life. But I also just hate that idea of like an actor getting the rights because like they're, they're, yeah. they're basically like reserving it for themselves. Well, you say that. But then Henry Cavill uh, swung a deal with Amazon for the rights to Warhammer 40,000. And you know what? I'm pretty excited about what he's going to do with that. Warhammer 40,000 seems like a pretty easy IP to get. Uh, you, you would say that. But um, so Games Workshop, who, who owns it, they, um, they're, they're notorious for not licensing things out. Or when they do, it doesn't really go very well. So they get yeah. really, really careful about it. The f- I mean, it makes sense that they would give it to him. Henry Cavill's probably not going to fuck it up. Uh, but it's also that question of what is he going to do with it? Are we talking, I'm assuming TV show? Is he I'm pretty playing, sure it'll be TV, yeah. You know, is he playing one of the, the Primarchs? Is he going to be playing the Emperor? Who knows? I am fascinated to see where they go with that. But I also think like it is a case of he's a massive fanboy. Is is this a good move? Or is this going to be like a well, really self-indulgent, so like Mark Wahlberg style, I'm making really the show is, that I want to make? And it, I, I think there's a fine line there, right? Between like passionate fan who understand, who like loves and understands the source material, but versus like the, like the creative like development of the person who actually made it. Yeah. So I I think Henry Cavill is fantastic. And I, I'm really looking forward to seeing what he does with Warhammer. But that is a, a very big difference yeah. between that and like, you know, the the creative director behind the actual development of The Last of Us. Yeah. And understanding, like, when they were working on this, what they were doing and why, and, and like, reworking that. Like, that in itself is, I think, such a 
like mm. a critical part of it. Oh, absolutely. It's it's wonderful that we were able to to get an adaptation like this because this could have gone horribly wrong. And this this you know, if this had gone badly and the show wasn't great and and the cast wasn't great and the performances weren't great, this could have been like the true death knell of of video high quality video game adaptations for sure. People are people are like praising this, not realizing it's a video game adapta- yeah. adaptation. That's how good it is. Uh, like yeah. every every possible part of production like nailed and nailed it and checked the box. Like it's that whole idea of like and we've we've both talked about this before. We're like when a movie is good, it's not just good. It means every person in every element in every department fucking nailed it. Yeah, like everything every has to every right. checkbox has to line up perfectly. If even one doesn't, the entire thing falls apart. Yeah, hundred percent. I think what it, this is actually this might be a great way to sort of you know tie this all back together. For me, this adaptation, this show, gives me hope in a way that I think the show is about. It's about retaining that hope. It's about needing that hope in order to move forward. For me, this gives me hope that the God of War show will be good, that the Horizon show will be good. The Fallout show? The Fallout show will be good. I'm still on the fence about um, Borderlands. We'll see how that one comes out. I really don't know. uh, There's going to be a Splinter Cell movie with Michael Jordan. Oh, see, I would watch the shit out of that. If this gives me hope again, up until this point, especially off the tail of things like Halo, I was prepared to be like, everybody should just leave AAA video games to fuck alone. Now I'm like, no, fuck that. I was wrong. Halo's bad. It's possible to do it well. What and now I'm, now I'm actually retroactively more angry about Halo because I've seen what could oh have been. Oh, my God. I've seen, I've seen now the glory that was withheld from us. Imagine, imagine the Halo TV show that we deserve. I'm so upset. Instead of what we got. I'm so upset about Halo and I'm so upset like how much it keeps coming back because we, because like we re, like, you know, we talked about it when, when, when we did the episode and, and when we watched it, like yeah. we knew how bad it was, but then looking at anything else in comparison, it's further solidifies how it just rubs salt fucking, in the wound, how awful that goddamn show was. And they're yeah. doing another season. I, I don't, I, oh, I'm probably going to have to watch it just to see like where the fuck they go over. But like, there's, I don't think there's any redemption for that. There's no redemption for that. There's no coming back from that. This is what I mean. Like the, on the face of it, the last of us feels like a really easy win because you go, Oh, it's such a beloved game. It's been re-released three times. Like I think on the surface level, once it, once it's out, like it can be seen as an easy win. Yeah. But making it, making it like the, like that, that was, that was a risk and a half. Like HBO was like, okay, well you have the creative director for like the massively successful game. You've done Chernobyl, like on paper, easy to green light. I mean, in terms of it being a critical success, that was never a guarantee. Never. Like they pushed the marketing hard, but like it, it could have like it could have fizzled. Oh, it absolutely could have fizzled. And 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 I might eat my words when, you know, let's say we've got the God of War thing happening. I can't remember off the top of my head if it's a show or a movie, but I th- I'm pretty sure it's an Amazon series. Uh, or it could be Netflix. One of them is one of the Horizons it, it, one it, it, and God of War's the other one and then there's um I don't know about the Horizon one, but uh God of War and Fallout are both prime. Amazon yeah, there prime. you go. Yeah. It, it it could be bad. It could be quite bad. It could be very bad. And I'm prepared for that mentally, but now that I've seen this show in my heart of hearts, I really want the God of War show to be amazing. I what? really, really do. I'm curious about your thoughts on the Super Mario Brothers movie coming out. Do you know what? I am super pumped about it and I'm going to see it. And I have opinions on the voice uh, acting. I have, uh, so visually, 
the animation. Stunning. Yeah. Fucking amazing. So on board. But oh my God. Like I saw the trailer clip uh, that is Donkey Kong and it, it's literally just Seth Rogen's voice. It's just Seth Rogen's voice. Mario's yeah. is, is just Chris Pratt. It's so like jarring. Because you don't you, you you don't expect to hear that voice come out of those characters' mouths. But what? So one of my other like favorite video game adaptations, and this is a personal favorite of mine. I love how like cheesy and tacky and just like weird it is. But the 1993 Super Mario Brothers movie, I love it. It's it's one of the it's, one of my favorite films. It's, it's ludicrous. Honestly, it's a it's it's a, a pinnacle of cinema. I fucking love it. It's so good. If anyone here hasn't seen. Super Mario Brothers from 1993. Get around uh, it. John Leguizamo plays yeah. Luigi. Um, I forget who plays Mario. But they're like, New York Mario. It's like, hey, look at me, I'm Mario. Seriously. It's like, Fuck. And it's incredible because they, and you know, look, there's the, I guess this is part of the point of this podcast. It's never about getting something 100% correct as an adaptation or a comparison. It's about understanding what you're doing and leaning into it. And also, if you, underst- if you understand that what you're doing is incorrect, but you're doing that intentionally... Like, if you can, if you can lean into... If you can turn that up to 11, I'm on board. If you can go all the way in and, and like, understand... Like, understand the rules that you're breaking, it, it can be actually excellent. Yeah, I mean, I've, I, I've talked about this to a few people. I don't think I've said it on the podcast before, but one of my key things that I learned as a producer is that every movie is born three times. The first time is when you write it, second time is when you shoot it, and the third time is in the edit. And you can get through the first two of those and think you have a particular product. And you're like, like I, I had it happen to me with a horror film. All the way through, right up until the edit room, we were convinced that we were making an A-plus horror film. It was you know A24 style or like Blumhouse style. It's, it's a true horror film and it's going to be scary and audiences are going to love it. We got to the edit room and went, oh shit, we haven't made that at all. We've made a backstage, campy, B-grade, it's it's Rocky Horror Picture Show is what we've made. If, and, you, if you've made like actually Rocky Horror Picture Show, that's a fucking tremendous But effort. this is what I mean, right? Because when you set out to do it, it's not at all what you wanted. No. So you have a decision to make in that edit room and go, do I, mean, I try to save the, the A-plus horror film I thought I was making or do I take the B-grade slocky whatever and i crank it to 11 and i i own it because if you embrace that version of the movie it could be incredible yeah but but you have to a recognize that that's what's happening and b not just accept it but actually embrace it and run with it yeah you have to become like if you fight against fully on board it'll be garbage and i think the super mario brothers movie from back in the day they knew what they had yeah. and they leaned into it hard. It if so you look good. at the performances, the soundtrack. It's incredible. When, when, when they're in the scene in, in the nightclub. Oh, oh. incredible. I it's still so remember good. that song. Yeah. It was open the door, get on the floor. <laughs> Everybody do the dinosaur. That stuck with me since that movie came out. I'll never forget that. I will, I will be singing that in an old folks home 50 years from now and people will look at me like I'm insane, but I will still remember that scene. That movie was objectively not a good Super Mario Brothers adaptation. However... But in terms of a, 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 just a movie on its own, fucking amazing. Stunning. I will say this. I, I, have, to, I, I have to bring this up. The, the trailer for the new Super Mario Brothers movie, there's a sequence. It must have been in the first teaser where you only just barely hear Chris Pratt doing Mario's voice for like three seconds. Somebody did a clip of that with John Roberts who plays Linda Belcher in Bob's Burgers and it's fucking identical. 
you could recut that whole movie, I'll bet, and have Linda Belcher clips doing the voice instead. And if you're listening and you're handy with a computer and you want to make that edit, I think there's I, a market for that. I think what might happen, and especially looking at everything that's happening with like, you know, deepfake and, and AI happening and, and being able to mimic anyone's voices, there's probably going to be like a fan edit of the entire Super Mario, Super Mario Brothers movie where every character has like the classic voice. I'd love that. Oh, I'd love that so much. Uh, I, I don't, I, I say I don't understand. I do understand I mean, why I they mean, made I that mean, decision. N- n- Nintendo will, will, will probably fight against it and get every trace of it removed on the internet. Oh, good luck with that. There, you can still get um, the supercut of the Star Wars prequel trilogies in which Jar Jar Binks has been removed and another version in which he is set up as the Sith Lord main villain and... Disney can try as much as they want. Those are on the pirate networks. You can never, ever, ever get rid of oh, them. And they're amazing. amazing. Oh, I need to check those out. Um, it's similar to what you're saying too, with like the, the movie being like born three times in production yeah. and like really like reiterating and changing and like, and realizing what you have and having to pivot. I think that's true for any creative endeavor, right? Yeah. Like it, like it, whether it's media, whether it's a game, whether it's, um, you know, events or, or any, any, any kind of like art, art history or creative, um, project it's always an iterative, pro- iterative process i mean in games it's it, like it's not as linear as that because like you're working you're reiterating all the time that's why you have like a game design document and like your mm. initial pillars to like remind you and go back as like what you're actually trying to set up because when you're two three years into development and trying to work out like is this good is my intention actually working you have that to help try and ground you uh, but it's almost impossible. I mean, that's the job of the producers to try to keep on track for that. But also, the other half of that job is to recognize when and, it's not working. And like, and like the game, like director and like creative yeah. visionary as well, right? You got, like, you got to sit there and go, guys. I think we need to reassess. Uh, are we still doing what we thought we were doing? Yeah. And if if we're not, should we get back on track or should we embrace the new direction we found ourselves in? I mean, there's lots of games that came out as one thing that turned into something else. Fortnite being one of them. Oh yeah, massively. Like yeah. For, like Fortnite originally was was not a battle royale game. That was like a new mode that they added later, and now that's like that's what Fortnite is known for. Yeah. I mean, not just that, but now that's become iconic when people talk about battle royale. They yeah. go, oh, like Fortnite. Yeah. You're like, isn't that amazing that? By accident, they they created that and leaned into it, but they could have fought against it. And that was after like PUBG and stuff came yeah. out. Yeah, well, yeah. I think that'll be fascinating. We we haven't really touched on it, but there is a multiplayer aspect to the original The Last of Us um, that was it's supposed to be getting a sequel. And yeah, when they, they're, they're doing they're doing a multiplayer version for The Last of Us Part Two. Well, yeah. See, so you say that, but that game came out. Again, I must have been like three or four years now. I think part two, uh, I want to say either 2016 or 2018. Yeah, so it was definitely pre-pandemic and they were meant to have a multiplayer. I remember when the game came out and they said, oh, multiplayer is coming out separately later this year. It'll be free to play. And we've been waiting ever since. And part of me is like, is it just not working? And there's just sort of like, how do we make this work? Well, I did see like a recent post by Naughty Dog talking about it and they are doing it, but I think they're doing it as like a standalone like product it so, must be because so by now like, there's no way you would want to attach it to, to yeah yeah. To they're, they're, two, yeah they're they're doing like a new like last of us release but it's purely like a multiplayer game yeah like set in the world of the last of us like you don't play as any of the characters from from the story or anything i think you're you're just like your own character like fighting against other people yeah and um, i wonder if if something similar happened where they are 
you know, they start making the thing, they're they're putting the pieces together, it's coming together, and then halfway through they kind of went, oh shit, we're making something different. And, and, it they, might, and, they, and they probably don't have like the timeline and the budget and the production yeah. in order to pivot for what it actually requires. Yeah, exactly. So that, now that, it has that, to be something that's else. That's how things get cut. That's yeah. how, you know, the, uh, the Last of Us Part 1 um, has the the Ellie and Riley backstory releases a, a DLC later down the line instead of coming out at the same time as part of the story. Yeah. Yeah. And you can kind of... I mean, it's classic like production just like management uh, yeah, that's processes, it, right? right? That's, that's, the, that's the job, yeah. Yeah. Oh, man. I, I am fascinated to see... Well, like, I know they've already confirmed that um, season two of the show is going to be split, or not split, but that the At second game seasons. is going to be multiple seasons. Yeah. And so I'm kind of like, okay, do they start shooting this year? Or is this, you know, are we going to get I it think, next year? I, or is I it going to be like 2026? What I saw, because I think Bella Ramsey was talking about this in some interviews, they're probably going to start shooting towards the end of this year. And we're probably going to see it come out at like early 2025. Oh, yeah. I mean, look, that seems like a thousand years away, but also... I'm ready for it, you know? I'm so keen. I'm so keen. It's I can't so wait. Good. But that, that's good because that gives us time. One, I'm going to need to replay all the way through the second game again. I'm very excited about that. I'm playing through it right now. And like, um, I'll say the name of the chapter I'm in. So you do yeah, go on. It, it's, it's um, uh, I've gone back to day one. Ooh, yeah. Yeah. You're at an interesting point. Okay, we won't get into it, but... The uh, <laughs> I am I am curious how they will pull that off in the TV show, and we, we we can talk about that off air a little bit. But it it's it's it will have to be multiple seasons in order to do it justice. And I'm yeah. kind of I'm I'm excited about that. What I think is going to be interesting. Oh, is, I also can't wait to see like like Bella Ramsey's performance yeah. like amp up into what's required for part two. Incredible! Oh my right? god! What I'm fascinated about is are we going to end up with The Last of Us Part Three? coming out around about the same time Sorry, as the TV show adaptation of it. Because if this timeline keeps up, I would expect that game to happen on the tail end of the PS5's life cycle because that's, that's when they usually release them. They're one of the last games per generation. So if that happens, by the time that game comes out, we might be up to season four of the show and it might actually be coming out at the same time. So my thoughts on this... Um and obviously, I don't know everything that's happening in Naughty Dog, but Neil has spoken in terms of games like they're they're not looking at another one yet. Like, oh no, I think that's a filthy lie. I no, think no, no, but it's, so, so here's yeah. the thing: if they do look at another one, it's not coming out twenty twenty five. Yeah, if, no they, if if they start development on that game now, it's not coming out for five years. Yeah, I think they've already started development. I think they would have started pretty quickly after number two. I'm pretty sure they're working on a new IP at the moment. Well, they're doing both. My understanding is. Um, they have already started the writing process for part three. The they just haven't started active development of the actual game. So well, like, even even actual development will take years. Yeah. So I think if you for do, a game of that scale, yeah. Oh, yeah. If you do the math, the the gaps between the games and the way the console life cycles generally work, they part of the reason they do it that way is they are the last game to come out almost the last game to come out for that generation because they're able to take such advantage of the hardware because by that point other companies have learned all of the lessons needed to really extract as much goodness out of those consoles as possible so i suspect that's that's what's happening is it's still early days for the ps5 there's no point trying to start making the game now because they don't know what they need to know to get what they want out of it psvr2 looks fucking sick yeah that, that i forget the the term but um uh, the eye focus technology they have in that. Oh, foveated lenses. Yeah. Oh yeah. my god, I can't. I can't wait to. I, I, I like. It's like a grand in Australia. To yeah, buy, I know. To it's buy too expensive VR2. for me. I might. Uh, I might 
wait till Christmas and see if it comes on sale and give myself a nice little Christmas present. Oh, I, but I, I only just got a Quest 2. So for me, that's I can't justify spending that much money on a second VR headset. That's that's too bougie for me. I, mean, I the, think the, I'd be the, in a lot of trouble. The other thing that I want to get, which isn't available in Australia yet, but you can buy it on Amazon and get it shipped, but it's Steam Deck. But the one, oh, I the, thought about that, yeah. The one that I want to get on Amazon, like the fully kitted out one, is like one and a half grand. I'm like, oh, damn. Yeah. No, I think I think I'll probably wait a little bit um, and and really maximize my use of the Quest Two, and then the next one I get will probably be a PSVR Two, depending on on what comes out in the interim. Purely because of they've sort of done what the old school consoles manage really well with having those exclusives. Yeah. So the Quest Two, if you you know, I'm not going to get into how to do this because I'm not sure if it's 100% legal, but you can finagle it to play any PC VR game, but you can't get uh, PlayStation VR games. It won't do anything that was PSVR exclusive. So in a, in a roundabout way, what they're trying to do has worked because now I am actually interested in buying both. I do want to play the Horizon VR game and yeah. you can only play it on PSVR too. So yeah. I'm like, all right, I'm not going to do it this week. I do not make anywhere near enough money to justify having two VR headsets at the same time. But maybe later this year, when I've had my fill of the Quest 2, and, and that, <laughs> I might I might get on board. At least I know if I buy um, a VR kit or a Steam Deck, or like I, I bought a Series X recently as well, I can claim those on tax. Yeah, true. Maybe I'm, I'm not there yet. We'll see. We'll see how I go. I'm you know uh, uh, I won't I won't uh, talk about this too much, but. I, uh, I do have a, a TV or what was meant to be a TikTok series concept that may be pivoting into a VR experience. So that that's like uh, like the other end of the extreme there, right? TikTok to VR. Oh well, yeah. A lot of it is because what we built for the TikTok show functioned really well as a first person choose your own adventure. Yeah. And we built that for TikTok and it was, it was going pretty well, but then a lot of the funding dried up and a lot of the people that we were working with kind of went, I'm not actually that excited about TikTok anymore. I was like, okay. And the more I started thinking about it and then I got my quest too and I was like, you guys realize everything that we've built narratively to work in first person for TikTok works even better as a horror for VR. And so now we're like, oh, how hard would it be to, and it turns out not that hard. You know, it, I'm not going to say it's easy, but a lot of what you're trying to build does function crossing over. And I think Maybe that is comes it back to in an engine for TikTok, like like, like no. Well, that's the thing. It wasn't originally. It was it was going to be real footage, right? So we're going to shoot real footage, yeah. and it was going to have some VFX. But the more we've looked into it, the more we've kind of gone. You could build the whole thing in Unreal and do performance capture, and you you don't need to shoot real footage. I mean, you could do real footage, real footage for VR. I'll talk about this more offline with you. Yeah. But I might know someone who I'll um, connect you with. This is what I mean. It's kind of getting into that idea of like understanding. The, the deeper level of what we're trying to do means that doing the adaptation, because this would effectively be adapting a TikTok show into VR, you can make that work if you understand what the point of it was yeah. in, in TikTok. If you knew why it worked and what you were trying to say, you can adapt that. It's never going to be a one-to-one. You can't just take the script and go, it's VR now instead. But if you understood why it worked in TikTok, you can figure out how to make that work in VR. It goes back to The Last of Us. Exactly. It's the yeah. same thing. Oh, that's great. I that's think, that's kind of all my points, man. I think I, I could talk about how much I love the show for hours, but I also feel like we're just going to end up repeating ourselves. Well, how, it was there much? I know you touched on uh, a couple of small things, but uh, for both the game or the show, things you didn't like, things negatives yeah. or, or like drawbacks. Because like we we, yeah. have, we have gushed about it, we clearly love it. But if we are like going to analyze it and really put like the, mag- the magnifying glass on it, what are the things that's, that stood out that we think uh, like? 
drew away from mm. from the core experience. I mean, I already talked about the kiss. Um, what did you the, th- What did you think of the pacing? The pacing was the other bit that irked me because, and like, oh, this is such a uh, you, you can't you can't put a, a a definitive answer on how long the show should have been or how much the pacing should be different. I would have loved one more episode. That's the thing. But I I also know that like they're doing like a chapter per episode. So that makes perfect sense to me. Yeah. You can sort of see why it made sense to do it the way they did it. Yeah. But I definitely would have enjoyed one or two more episodes. I think we could have built up the, the Joel Ellie relationship a bit more. Yep. And I think the criticisms of the flashback episodes made sense where people were kind of annoyed, especially I the liked, Frank and I liked the flashbacks. I loved them as well. But, but one of the main criticisms that I think is legitimate is say, for example, the Frank and Bill flashback, we got almost no Ellie and Joel in that episode. We did get uh, a specific moment of them uh, towards the end of that episode, though, where, like, you know, find out and they're getting stuff. Um, yeah. And they have that moment where they talk about and actually, like, confront what happened to Tess. Yeah. Um, I, I do think that... And they, and they have, like, that more understanding of, like, where they sit at that, yeah. at that moment. Like, we do have, like, that character progression happen in the episode, but it is, it is this one moment. But, like... I just I wanted you know, more. I wanted I wanted more of the bits in the game that are slow paced, and they're walking through a, a you know bombed out building, and they're having a conversation. That, yeah. that back and forth slow paced dialogue. We didn't get a lot of that. I did in want the show. I did want like a couple more like not necessarily big scale, but just like coming across like a clicker and just and like having to deal with it. Yeah, I think was it the lack of of the clickers was definitely missing. We didn't see any clickers in winter. Which yeah, I I, I, I think that was. I would have liked to see. I'm assuming a lot of that more. was time and budget reasons, and I think they've the, the creators I mean, have talked I mean, about that a little bit. This is HBO, like yeah, but I think even then they've talked about like HBO does not have a limitless budget. Yeah. And so when you're given, well, yeah, there's there's never such a thing as an as a limit, yeah. limitless budget. So that makes sense. But but I did I did read in interviews they are addressing that for the next season. There yes. will be more of the clickers. Oh, and there's there's uh, some really cool like unique like extra clicker stuff. Yeah. Coming in, coming in the new one, I think is great. Also, very quickly, they had like a clicker in the show that wasn't in the game, like the the little girl child clicker who yeah. who was like leaping and, and pouncing and fast. It was terrifying. Ooh, Fucking yeah. loved it. Oh my god! You're gonna en- really enjoy the second half of The Last of Us Part Two. Oh, I I think I've already been spoiled for like one particular yeah. moment. Um, that that was amazing though because I you, can't wait. <laughs> you realize um, the the horror of the school sequence in the sewers yeah. where they find like the, uh, the sewery, like people have been hiding under there yeah. and like what happened to them all. And it's like, well, one of those little kids is that little girl yeah. who climbs in the car and you're like, Oh, that's dark. That's pretty fucking grim. And like, and like it doesn't explicitly point it out, but as soon as you like connect the dots, you, you connect it's, it and you go, Oh, clear. I get it. Yeah. I, for me, I wanted a little bit more of some of that, which again, so like the sequence in the game of in those sewers is significantly longer than what it is in the show. Yeah, and in the show, it is honestly long enough; it works. But I happily would have watched another thirty minutes. I I would have, and I maybe maybe I'm not the right audience for that because I was looking for that from the game, and maybe the the people who only watched the TV show would go, no, that was enough. I don't need more. Well, I suppose too, because like if you're watching it just just from the TV show, and not knowing the game, you don't know the specific callback exactly. to like going into sewers with Sam and Henry and like having that like kind of like. Uh, that time and that development fleshed out, especially looking for the school. You have a, a moment in the show and it, you have like enough of that, but you don't need to spend more time than, than it's needed in yeah. order to serve the plot. 
I, and I like, guess. I'm, yeah. gl- I'm glad that they didn't do the Ellie on the fucking pallets four times. <sighs> you know, she can't swim. You've got to carry her across. I mean, they did have a moment where she was like, she can't swim. And it's like, it's knee, it's knee height You're water. Fine. Yeah. It's like, oh, right. Yeah, okay. But I'm glad they didn't do that because, again, that's probably my least favorite mechanic. Oh, the frog on the piano. Oh, oh yeah. Our hero, <laughs> our MVP. Yeah. Oh, man. I, I've, yeah, for me, the game only has a few things that I didn't love. It's honestly a masterpiece. And I feel like the TV show is is definitely up there. I, I, I can see myself re-watching this show several oh, times. Oh, the TV show genuinely, is, I think, for me, is going to be, like, up there in, like, my top five, yeah. like, classics, like like Breaking Bad. Um, like, like real, yeah. really, I'm, I'm now blanking on other ones because I'm just in this moment. But The Last of Us, I think it's going to stand the test of time. Oh, 100%. The rewatchability on that. Like, I'm going to come back to that. Yeah. Like, as soon as, like, the next the next season comes out, I'm going to rewatch this. Oh, kidding? yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. I think that's everything. I think so. Yeah, yeah. If if, you are, if we're wondering if if it's a good adaptation, if it works, I mean, if it's not obvious, like, yeah, it fucking works. It works really well, and I think it serves as a. I'm not going to say a blueprint necessarily, but it serves as a beacon that points towards the fact that this can be done. We, when all you have left is hope, we have hope for more good video game adaptations. Yes, we absolutely do. Please, please, Hollywood and everybody else making this stuff. And I'm including myself in this because one I want, day I, I would want, love to do I it. I want A24 to do some some video gamey stuff. I mean, uh, yeah. Blumhouse is doing video games now. They're working on it. I'm yeah. I'm keen to see what's going to come out from them. I I think that I'd we, love to see Devolver do some like yeah. film and TV stuff. I would love to see us heading into like a golden age of adaptations, especially off the back of something like Halo, where we can kind of go, well, that was the end of the shit ones, and they're all good from here on out. God, I mean, I mean, that, I mean that, that that's just not going to happen. How dare you? I mean, you? I mean, I I mean like hope. like the three or four or five that we mentioned earlier. Like maybe one of them will be good. Maybe statistically, at least one of them's got to be a killer. Uh, I'm hopeful. One of them, really and hopeful. at least one of them is guaranteed to be dog shit. Yeah, true. <laughs> Which is, like I, I hate uh, that, and I hate every fi- like my, every fiber of my being doesn't want to say that. But like in terms of track records, like it's probably going to happen. It's probably going to happen. Yeah. Uh, please, please not God of War or Horizon. Let it be something else. I, I, I have a feeling it's going to be Fallout, and I really don't oh want it to no. be. <laughs> or, or Borderlands. I think Borderlands is going to be interesting. I have such high hopes for Fallout because, like, that's one of my favorite video game worlds. But I'm, I don't know. I uh, am skeptical. Yeah. Well, let's let's cross our fingers, and uh, you know, in the in the darkness, we will look for the light. Say that to me one more time and I broke your jaw. <laughs> Alright, thanks everyone. Catch you next time. Bye. Bye.